right, welcome to a special podcast edition, a breaking news episode of the Alex Murdaugh murder case in South Carolina. We've covered this case on this podcast. I'm sure many of you are already aware. Uh, this is March the 3rd, 2023, about 7 o'clock local time in South Carolina tonight. A jury found Alex Murdaugh, the disgraced attorney, guilty of murdering his son and wife back in June of last year, and the jury supposedly deliberated less, less than three hours on this case, which a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times that seems to be the pattern and the way it goes. When you see a jury only deliberate for a short bit like that, then usually then that's more, more times than not that I've seen it ends up in a guilty verdict. But I also remember what an attorney told me and I heard him tell a lot of his clients that you should never really truly try to predict what a jury's going to do because you just don't know what's being discussed and deliberated back there. So, you know, there have been plenty of times we've all probably seen where the jury very quickly deliberated and acquitted somebody. Uh, it happens, but we'll see uh, what will happen in the other cases, which we'll talk about just here in a little bit. Hope you're nice and dry where you're at because here again we got heavy rain and flooding going on it is so weird every time i do a podcast it seems like the weather here is bad and you know every time i don't know it's enough to almost make me paranoid which i enjoy doing this podcast so i don't plan on stopping it if uh brings bad weather but it's just been some strange weather all over i know some of you folks out in california of all places are getting snow so just crazy everywhere out there but hope you're safe where you're at again i'm sure many of you are following this case some of the critics and i you know i just caught the like most of you just the re uh Rewraps and things like that from the sound bites and clips and things that were on the news and on social media. Each day the trial went on. I believe it was about a six-week trial. But some of the critics, some even some legal scholars and experts, were many of them predicting that he was going to be acquitted. And the reason for that, they stated, was the lack of a motive being established. Now. There have been some that speculated, and we mentioned this on the initial podcast about this. Some of the motive that police had put together was that he did this to gather sympathy for himself because he was getting ready to face a huge amount of white-collar crime and financial crime cases, which he is still facing, as we'll mention and talk about here in just a little bit. But that was what was established the motive. Now, whether or not that's what led the jury to their conclusion or not, we'll never know. You know, again, we don't know. But after a six-week trial, uh, a three-week wrap-up, a three—or I'm sorry, a three-hour deliberation—that's a pretty quick amount of time to come to a verdict. So, whatever they believe the verdict or they believe the evidence that was submitted, they did not buy any of his excuse or you know any of the defenses that he did put up. Uh, a lot of theatrics. You know, he was very teary and emotional on the stand but apparently that did not work in his favor as well i don't know that it's a good idea for a defendant to take a stand i think in nine times out of nine ten out of every ten cases i think i've seen it's not a good idea for the defendant to take the stand very few of them seem to help themselves when they do you know i mean it's a little different situation with him because he was an attorney and he knows the legal system he knows the tricks and maybe his attorneys felt he could handle himself up on the stand there better than the average defendant would or could but i don't know but most of the time i've seen it just seems to be a bad idea when a defendant takes a stand and 
You know, the great thing about the justice system here in America is if you are a defendant, you don't have to ever take the stand and you don't have to prove your innocence or submit any evidence on your own behalf. It all falls on the state and the prosecution to do that. But the jury did not buy any of the claims that he did have. He uh, largely based a lot of that around an opioid oxycotton ad addiction, my understanding, trying to claim that fueled his paranoia, which he claimed led to him lying about the police. That was something that kind of got him in some hot water, they believe, you know, from the get-go. The prosecution very much threaded that hole in his defense that he admitted that he had lied to the police about repeatedly visiting that dog kennel earlier that day. The two were murdered near the family dog kennel, as you know, we pointed out on the last podcast. So uh, that was podcast that we covered on this episode and on this case. And they believe that's a lot of what destroyed his credibility was just going to that dog kennel multiple times that day, possibly staging the crime. Uh, the other critics have said that there was not a lot of DNA evidence that linked him to this, but, you know, they don't have to have DNA evidence to necessarily convict anybody. People have been convicted of murders long before DNA was discovered. Don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful discovery that's made investigations in law enforcement so much easier in so many ways. It's, it's exonerated and proven some people innocent that were wrongfully convicted and it's also allowed law enforcement to catch and nail people for crimes they otherwise would never have a way to do so it's a wonderful invent or discovery that was done but that was another criticism that they had on this case was that there was very little dna evidence that linked him to that but they really destroyed his credibility supposedly with lying about going to the dog kennel multiple times that day and trying to use the excuse of a opioid addiction like I said he was very teary and emotional up on the stand but apparently that did not sway the jury he was said to have shown little emotion when the verdict was read so I don't know if he prepared himself that this was a possibility or what but that's you know what ended up happening so he uh, did not freak out or anything like that despite being very emotional on the stand during this case he did not get highly emotional once this verdict was read. Now, I didn't get a lot of headlines, headlines tonight, but it was also pointed out that he was also found guilty of two other crimes tonight for possessing a weapon in commission of this offense. So that gets added on there too. He is looking at 30 years to life for each murder. Now, whether or not the judge is going to run them consecutively, where you know he gets 30 for each, then you're looking at 60 years, or if he does that uh, concurrently, where he'll just run them together, whatever. Now, we will surprisingly know the verdict tomorrow on Friday, March the 3rd, which was quite amazing to me because most cases I know in most states I know, particularly Illinois here where I'm at, the sentencing is usually set at least about six or eight weeks out to allow the probation officer, somebody like myself, to put together the pre-sentence investigation report, which is a background report on the offender, to help the judge in becoming that decision. Now, this was a long six-week trial. I don't know if the judge had the probation department prepare this in advance to be ready. I really don't know, but usually, and you know, to be honest, the judge does not have to by law. They're not bound to have to read a PSI 
although in a murder case like this, it's it might be a little different in with South Carolina law. I'm not sure. I know any time there's the death penalty on the table, it certainly has to be taken in and aggravating and mitigating circumstances have to be brought to light and considered and things like that. That's not on the table here. They're not seeking the death penalty. So that could be why they're coming to such a quick verdict. I, again, it's possible that this has already been prepared, but usually, like I said, in Illinois and most states, I know the sentencing is set out after somebody's been found guilty like this. So who knows, but the bottom line, it is a very quick turnaround and he will already know his fate tomorrow, Friday, March the 3rd, 2023, at least for this case, the double murder. You know, like I said just a minute ago, he could be looking at, a, you know, two life sentences each for that, which at age 54, that's, he's still going to be in there a while, but, you know, at the same time, it's also kind of a death sentence to him. He's not going to see the light of day, even if he gets 30-year sentences for those. That's most likely going to put a very good odds of him dying in prison. And he's not over with that because we are still going to cover this case for the nearly 100 counts of various white-collar and financial crimes. And this murder case may not be over as well. Like I told my wife earlier, there's a very good chance he could appeal it, although my understanding, and we were discussing this, that he doesn't have money, all of his assets have been frozen and things like that. But he has a lot of attorney friends, some supposedly that might have even been involved in these various financial and white-collar crimes he's being charged with. So who knows, they may aid in him in his defense to appeal. He may appeal, may not. I'm most certain he probably will. Somebody of his stature and ego usually will not take something like this lying down. And with his connections, I'm sure he can find an attorney to help him do an appeal. And I'd say most likely he probably will. So it's not necessarily over yet, even though he'll be sentenced tomorrow. He certainly could appeal this. But, you know, just because he appeals it doesn't mean anything is going to come of it. So he still has to do that and get his day in court again if he so chooses. But the, uh, st the judge does not necessarily in the appeals court have to hear his case. But most likely, I would say there's a good chance that this case could end up on appeal. So we will just have to watch and wait. And we will certainly keep our eye out on that. And we will be keeping you updated on the various white-collar crime cases that he has racked up. We talked about them in the original podcast on this episode and on this case. And these included a lot of counts of fraud, money laundering, embezzling about $9 million or about $8, 9000000 million from the family's firm there that had long been established. We'd pointed this out before. His grandfather and his father were both very prominent attorneys in the low country there in South Carolina. So he stole a lot of money there that was supposed to go from the firm and you know a lot of which was supposed to go to actual clients that were given different types of uh, settlements and things and that is something he laundered and possibly embezzled as well and he's also looking at some drug trafficking charges which we already know he's involved in you know oxycotton and opioids of various types admitted addict on that which who knows, that may have destroyed some of his credibility too, although he tried to use that as a defense. You never know what a jury's thinking. That could have been something that hurt him as well. But we haven't heard the last of this. We'll certainly be covering this case more. You know, again, if this murder, double murder conviction here is appealed, we will certainly cover that. And we will be covering all these white collar crimes from the embezzlement, tax evasion, you know, forgery, money laundering drug trafficking, all these, you know, around 100 counts altogether. So it's certainly something that is 
we will be keeping an eye on. In fact, we will be back tomorrow night. We will give you a quick update just like this. Not really a full podcast, but just a quick update on what's going on with that case and the latest verdict on it. And we hope you'll tune in soon. we got some really cool episodes coming up. This Tuesday, we will have one coming up on Pete Rose and some of the scandals he was in from his baseball days, the disgraced hit king. We'll talk about that and some of the actually white-collar crime cases that landed him briefly in prison not too far from where I live back in the day. And we uh, have one coming up. We will look at the really the spiritual side of greed and what it can cause and how it's long been considered a deadly sin. And we're going to have that as well and a special guest to cover that. More on that coming up soon. And we thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll tune in tomorrow night with the update. I'm sure you'll all see plenty of coverage on this on the news, so we appreciate you tuning in and taking time to hear our version of it, and we appreciate you always taking time to tune in for this podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow night and then have our regularly scheduled full podcast episode on Tuesday night, which is March the 7th. So thank you for tuning in to this one. God bless. We'll talk to you tomorrow night.